Amen. Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we read from Psalm 100 and also from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Now hear the word of the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And Paul would say, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what is your understanding of the church? And do you view the church in the same way that God views her? Alexander McFarlane, he's the director of for Christian Worldview and Apologetics, writes why millennials are backing away from God. He, he says that the trouble is with wrong thinking about the church by the church. Listen to what he says. He says, it is true that our culture has grown visibly antithetical to God and Christian commitment. But in addressing the spiritual attrition rate of young America, it must be admitted that a prayerless, powerless church peddling versions of Christianity light share in the blame. God only knows the degree of our complicity and also the time when we'll be concerned enough to change direction. Right, so, you know, if you want to know what God is doing in the church, one needs to look at, what God is doing in the world, rather, one needs to look at the church since it is Christ's body fulfilling God's plan of bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. It, and if, if the church is Christ's body, that means the way you treat the church is the way you treat Christ. Don't diss the church. Christ is the head over everything for the church. And Christ as head of the church means we can know him better, we can know the hope to which we are called, we can know the power that is for us who believe. 
Christ as head over everything for the church means we need to know him better. Listen to the text in verse 4, verses 15 and through 17. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So how do we know him better? Well, it's through through the work of the Spirit of God. Isaiah 11, 2 tells us this that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, on Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In John 16, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this about the Spirit. He said, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. See, these two passages teach us who the Spirit is and what He does. He is the Lord who makes the Lord known. And Jesus says this is the reason why He is given. And so Paul gives, Paul prays that the Spirit of God would do the very thing for which He is given. <laughs> See, that makes, that makes for Effective prayer. See, people usually find it difficult to know God. But knowing God is not the difficult thing because God wants to be known. Do you get that? God wants to be known. That's why Christ came. It's why he died. It's why he rose from the dead to make God known. Listen to what John 1, 17 and 18 says. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. See, Christ came to make God known. God wants to be known. Accepting God as he has revealed himself to be, now that is where the challenge lies. Because the problem is that most of us, most people, don't want God to be God. They don't want a God who is holy. They don't want a God, they want one who is, who is just loving. They don't want a God who is just. They want a God who just overlooks their sin. Now think about this. Suppose you, you said to your wife, Honey, I want to get to know you, but only on my terms. I don't want to know you as you really are. I want to know you for what I'd like you to be. Yeah, how much longer will she be your wife? <laughs> ah. But that's the way, that's the way that, that, that's, that we want to treat God. But the Spirit, the Spirit makes known to us a God who is both just and the justifier of all who believe. The Spirit shows us that God is both holy and loving in giving His Son to die for us. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of getting to know Him. And Paul prays for the church to know Him better. 
We can't know him better apart from the Spirit's working in us. And moreover, if Christ is the head over everything for the church, we should desire to know what that everything entails. And for this we need to know the hope to which we are called. Verse 18 says, I pray also that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the richest of his glorious inheritance in the saints. See, Paul prays for them to, to, to use the eyes of their understanding, to perceive the hope to which they have been called, the, the richest, as he describes it, the richest of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now see, in the previous verse, that word no is a noun, but here in this, in this verse, that word no is a verb, and it's, so it's, it's action, it's, it's taking the action while engaging your mind, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now see, the, 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 the Ephesians, just like, a lot, just like all of us, you know, were once in darkness. They were once in the darkness. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And this is the light that Christ has given. It's the light that Christ is. And the light is, is what they are to give their minds to so that they might perceive and have regard for the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And the scripture talks about this inheritance as God, about God's people as his inheritance. Listen to Deuteronomy 9.29 as, 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 as Moses is, is talking to, to, to the Lord. They are your people, your inheritance that you brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. And in Deuteronomy 4.20, he's talking to the people. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. And in Romans 4.13, Paul says this about Abraham's offspring and how, about how the world is, is our inheritance. He says, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that came by faith. And then Peter talks about the inheritance in Peter chapter 1, verse 4, as he talks about the inheritance as a result of, of the new birth, giving us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You see, this, this inheritance, it's all that the Father bestows it's all that the Son can provide, and, and it's all that the Spirit can apply. And this hope, this hope, it's, it's, it's what motivates us in our service as the church. Aren't you amazed at the things that people do when they think that they're going to get some riches? Just at the, just at the hope of, of gaining riches. You know, they get on a game show and they let Ellen dump all kinds of weird things on them or drop them into some soup. You know, or they run amazing races and face all kinds of extreme challenges. You know, they eat things that people shouldn't on a deserted island in the hopes of getting riches. And there's no guarantee that they're going to get the riches. It's all a gamble. And now, if, peop now if, people, if people will, will do this for, un for an uncertain hope, 
if they, if for, an uncertain, for uncertain riches, what are we willing to do for certain riches? Because this hope, the glorious riches of, of his inheritance in the saints, is certain. It is, it, it is ours, and the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, is a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, since Christ, since Christ is the head over everything for the church, there is nothing that can stop the fulfillment of this hope that God gives us. Hallelujah. So why be greedy? Why be greedy when the world is yours? It's your inheritance. Why covet what your neighbor has when you have an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade? You can walk out to the Grand Canyon and look over it and say, by faith in Christ, that's mine. You can say to China, stop taking minerals and resources from all over the world because by faith in Christ, it is the churches. You see, God calls us to see with the eyes of our, our understanding and to know that this wealth that, is the, that, that, is, that results from the salvation that Christ has brought to us. It's why, Paul, it's why Paul could write this letter while he's sitting in a jail cell. No worries. The world is ours through Christ. I see that's great power that you hadn't known previously. And therefore, we need to know the power, that, his power for us who believe. Look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now you see, Paul's prayer here is hitting their lives right where the proverbial rubber meets the road. Because in Ephesus, you literally couldn't walk down the street without being confronted by some god by way of a statue or a building or a street name. Frank Thelian, in his commentary on this text, he writes this. He said, they lived in a world where evidence of the power that belonged to the rulers and authorities and, and world rulers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places were all too clear. They could see signs of its strength in the political statuary and, and inscriptions in the markets and on the street corners of their cities. The gods, this propaganda proclaimed had given Rome the eternal right to rule the universe. Ah, yeah, see, so, you recall, and you recall the story in Acts 19, you know, when, what happened in Ephesus when, when Paul preached the gospel and people were becoming converted. You remember, they, people brought their scrolls of, of, of sorcery and they, and they burned them. And then Luke adds this, this, the cost of it, he said, and it cost 50,000 drachma. And see, a drachma was a day's wage. And, and it was the day's wage for an average worker. So they burned 
50,000 days of wages. Is that, so, see, that's how common idolatry was, and that's how costly that the, the attempts at, at having power in their lives was. So, it's not much different today. Because people spend a lot of money on, on things you know, like they, or their daily horoscope or, or, or reading the zodiac signs or, 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 or visiting some palm reader, playing with Ouija boards, all attempts to get power. And so when Paul writes that God's power is what raised Christ from the dead, exalted him and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given or ever will be given, they understood that this meant that all those false gods, all, all of these political powers, the, even the emperor himself, and, uh, and all the, demean, the demonic activity behind them has been overpowered. They're overcome. Christ has conquered them all. And furthermore, Paul adds, this power is available to them through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think small about the church? See, this power that's available to us in Christ is the power to love your neighbor. It's the power to overcome evil with good. It's the power to see God take the dead and bring them to life in Christ. It's the power of God to take a nobody and make them somebody. It's the power to change the hearts of, of people who are prone to pride and, and prejudice of their ethnic group so that they are empowered to love across the lines of these ethnic divides. And this power the scripture tells us, is available if your faith is in Christ as the head of, of everything, over everything, for the church. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know the hope to which you have been called. He wants you to know his power. And so the question is, do you know the head? Do you know the head? Verse, verse 23, and God, or verse 21 rather. 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, God has appointed Jesus as the head over everything for the church. <laughs> all things are by him, all things are for him, and his dominion is for the church. Jesus rules right now for the church. The fullness of him, the scripture says, who fills all things. The church is the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. This means, this means you, you, can't, you can't know Jesus apart from being involved in his church. You won't understand the hope that you need in, to sustain you in, in times like these apart from Jesus and his church. You will, you will and you'll not know the power of God apart from being involved in the church and its mission. And if the church is Christ's body and, and he's the head over everything for the church, this means the church 
is not about you. The church doesn't exist to meet your needs. Even though as you serve the church, your needs are met. (laughs) But the church is not about meeting your needs. It's about the church exists to carry out the purposes of God and fulfilling his will. So if you don't love the church, how do you expect to love Jesus, who is his head? You can't can't love the head and, and not the rest of the body. That would be weird. See, God knows, God knows the time to change direction is now. Now is the time to end the prayerless, powerless complicity in the culture's spiritual attrition. You know, so, so here's how we just think about this. You know, this is Thanksgiving week. So like Paul, you can make the church the focus of your Thanksgiving. Thank the Lord for the church. Thank the Lord for the body of Christ. Thank him for the unity that he's allowed you to take part in. Thank thank him for allowing you to take part in the church's mission, accomplishing his purpose. His purpose in the church is bringing all things together under one head, even Christ, that head who is the head of the church. That's what Ephesians 1.10 tells us. so, So that's the first thing, give thanks. But the second thing is to pursue the unity and with everything that God has placed in you. Pursue this unity that he's given with everything that God has placed in you because God's work is fulfilled by Christ who uses his people to accomplish his plan. See, that's why this unity across the lines of race and class is it's of utmost importance. It's this unity that, that it's the reason why Paul prays his prayer. It's why this, these, these verses are written. Because look at verse 13 in the context here. And you who also were included in Christ. There it is. You Gentiles, you're included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And later in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul cites this ethnic unity as the reason for another prayer. And listen to this, what he says after declaring that he's, in, that he's a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. He says the reason that he's the prisoner is for the mystery of Christ. Then he goes on in verse 6 and tells us what that mystery is. He says the mystery of Christ is that Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. You're included. Then he prays in verse, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So you see, if this unity for which Christ died was raised and is exalted to be the head over everything for the church is the place where God lives, it's the place where Christ loves and where the Spirit applies His power, then don't you think, then don't you think that you ought to pursue this unity with everything that you've got? 
What possible reason? What possible reason would you have to break this unity? Now, I love and, and I witness this church pursue this unity. Uh, uh, and yesterday during a, during a presbytery, it was completely unexpected. Uh, Joshua Suh was there to transfer into our presbytery because, he, as you know, he's coming to be an associate pastor here. And uh, uh, and so so when he had uh, been accepted and approved, you know, uh, one pastor stood up and and said. You know, I don't know what this is, if it's a point of privilege or, or not, but I think you know, that, that we should acknowledge that Grace Church is an example for us. You know, and and, and you know, I, was, I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah, and so he was, talking, he was talking about just what we, the church has done in its history to become multi-ethnic. That, that, so he said that Grace, that this church is an example to him. You know, and I thought, you know, yeah, you know, God, you did this. You're doing this. This is, this is your work. Yeah, this, is, this, this was your plan. You know, this is, and that, that, that we are, that now, you know, that God is, is doing this, you know, if the times in which we live, it's a test. It's a temptation to, to back away from this unity that God has given. And I, I thank the Lord, you know, that here, <laughs> it's no Christianity like. Not, that's not what's happening, you know. And, and so, you know, many people struggle. We struggle in these, in these days with wearing a mask, and it isn't just in the church. But it, it's. In, I listened to a rabbi friend of mine up in uh, Wilmington who talked about his his uh, congregation there at, at the uh, at, at the at the synagogue struggle with this very thing about masks. You know, but for us as believers, if Jesus, if Jesus would die unjustly at the hands of sinful men upon a cross for this unity, do you think you could wear a mask for unity's sake? I don't like the mask. I understand that. Yeah, it makes your ears hurt behind, you know, it chafes there. But I dislike division more. See, don't disrupt the unity for which Christ died over a mask. See, doesn't his spirit, doesn't his spirit empower us to be more selfless, to be more loving, to be more patient, to be more meek and gentle? You see, if you think your civil rights are more important or your political conservatism or, or liberalism or, or, or moderation are the keys to the unity that God has, has given and, or in God's purposes, perhaps you don't really understand the gospel. You don't really understand. You don't really know the gospel. You don't really understand Jesus. You need to know him better. Because shouldn't you, shouldn't you, by God's incomparably great power, set aside your political party spirit for the unity of the spirit? You see, if Jesus, although innocent, submits to death on the cross as a criminal, couldn't you and I, couldn't you and I, by the power of the spirit, Take a little abuse for the sake of the unity of Christ. 
and the unity that Christ has secured through his life-giving death. See, that's the gospel. That's the application of the gospel. That's the application of grace. As I said, and I've, I've watched this church pursue unity, and I don't doubt, but that we will rise up in these days. Since we understand this grace, that Christ became unrecognizable so that we could know God better. And since Christ on the cross became hopeless, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became hopeless so that you and I could have hope. Christ gave up his power so that we could have his mighty power in our lives. Now he is exalted far above all. Christ is the head over everything for the church. That's not just for the He's the head over everything for the church. And he is her one foundation. Let's pray. Ah, Lord Jesus, you are our exalted head. We are your creation, the sheep of your pasture. Oh, Lord, let, your, let us shout for joy to you and all of the earth, knowing that you are good and your love endures forever. Bring us through for the glory of your name. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.